Welcome to episode number 17 of The Thermal. I'm your host, Harry Tenkate. The world headquarters of The Thermal and the podcast's huge production team has just moved from Toronto to a new walk-in closet in Consecon, Prince Edward County, which is about two hours east of Toronto. My goal is to put out a monthly podcast in between the usual chores like installing a new toilet and insulating our 150-year-old house. In episode number 17 of The Thermal, SkySight founder Matthew Scudder on flying an all-electric contest with his FES-powered Diana 2. And on Gliding Club Confidential, we go to Western Canada and the Invermere Soaring Centre. That's all on episode number 17 of The Thermal. Traditional gliding as we know it is changing. With the advent of various types of electric propulsion, a whole new world of zero-emission gliding is here. Pure electric self-launch gliders and gliders with electric sustainer systems are here to stay. Older gliders are even being retrofitted with FES systems, which stands for Front Electric Sustainer. The second annual E2 Glide competition was held in Germany this past summer. What makes this competition unique is that pilots are able to use their electric engines to a certain degree during flight without penalty. One of the competitors was Matthew Scudder, who is flying his brand new Diana 2 FES. Matthew is also the CEO of SkySight, the popular gliding weather app. I spoke to Matthew in Brisbane, Australia in late October, where he was nearing the end of his COVID-19 quarantine. Hello, Matthew. Nice to chat with you again. How's the uh, quarantine going? Uh, things are going well here. We're coming up to day 11 of our quarantine in Brisbane, Australia. We've uh, elected to move back to Australia, but uh, as part of that, you have to quarantine for 14 days when you arrive in a hotel. I'm not allowed outside, not allowed to see anyone. That sounds pretty severe. I know in other parts of the world, i.e. Canada, they uh, you're allowed to go home, but uh, the government will follow up with phone calls, but it sounds like it's a bit more strict in Australia. Yeah, they're quite strict here, but uh, we've got almost no cases, so they, they'd like to keep it that way. So uh, it's hard, but um, hopefully it's worth the wait. Absolutely. So we're talking about the E2 Glide competition that you were in last summer. Talk me through this competition and exactly how it works. Sure. So the E2 Glide concept or the E-Glide concept is that you can use a limited amount of electric power in flight. So typically you're using around two kilowatt hours of energy through the flight. So maybe a FES system has a total of five kilowatt hours of energy inside it. Um, so that enables you to race in conditions that otherwise might not be soarable or to increase your speed in conditions that are quite soarable. Um, the actual format of the competition itself is a Grand Prix. So everyone starts at the same time. And then uh, the scoring is not the, let's say, typical Grand Prix scoring of points depending on uh, where you place, but rather it's more Tour de France style. So if you're one minute behind the leader, then you have to catch up one minute on the subsequent day. In terms of the handicapping, unfortunately, there's not enough identical electric gliders that we can run an unhandicapped competition. But in this case, it's just by variable size turn points. So the big open class gliders have to go all the way around the turn point, whereas things like the Silent 2 FES might turn five kilometers before the turn point or 10 kilometers before the turn point. So it's a really interesting format. So then the, the concept I gather then, if there's a huge distance between thermals, instead of landing out, you fire up your electric engine and head off to the next thermal. Exactly. So uh, on many days, it actually wasn't even soarable in the start area. So we were able to use our engines to cross the start line and then glide away to somewhere where it was soarable and then fly the rest of the day in perfectly good thermal conditions. 
And then on other days, uh, we actually had really nice thermal conditions the whole day from the start area to the finish. And it becomes a problem of when do you actually use that energy to increase your speed the most? Because um, if you use it inefficiently, people will... Um, They'll find ways to beat you regardless. So maybe you climb above the clouds and glide with a stronger tailwind, or maybe you only use it when you're flying slow under cumulus already in lift and you only use it in thermals, or maybe you use it in the cruise. And uh, everyone was coming up with different tactics every day trying to figure out what the best strategy is. It's quite exciting to be breaking new ground where no one knows what's best. It's like flying before McCready theory. Huh. Now, self-launching gliders, Aerotow, what did you do? So I've only just picked up my new Dyna 2, so I've only been aero-towing it so far. Mm -hmm. um, there was a few gliders there self-launching. There was an Antares self-launching. I think uh, one of the Silent 2s self-launched a few days, but not all days. Um, a lot of gliders still had range anxiety, so when you're allowed to use that energy in flight for racing, then maybe you don't really have any energy to come home with at the end of the day uh, if the conditions die completely and you've wasted your energy somewhere else in the flight. So most people were reluctant to take aerotoes. So did everybody make it back uh, on a day-to-day -day basis? Uh, not at all. Uh, quite a few people uh, landed short or um, uh, didn't have enough energy to come home and made outlandings on airfields nearby around the task area. We had quite ambitious tasking in very poor conditions. Mm -hmm. So um, pilots had to use that energy very judiciously. And if you, you didn't anticipate what was coming up, uh, you could end up outlanding for it. Now tell me about your your new glider, your Diana Two with the uh, FES. How uh, was that to fly? Uh, it's great. I only picked it up uh, two and a half months ago, uh, just uh, almost just two months before the competition. Um, so it's uh, mating of the let's say original Diana Two with some ergonomic improvements and with the installation of the FES system. And the combination goes really well because the Diana Two is so light. Hmm. So hmm. whereas things like the Ventus Three and um, the LAC-17 with the FES batteries in there, with the pilot in there, you're up near 450, 500 kilos even. Whereas with the Diana 2, with the empty weight and no pilot, you're only 270 kilos. So with me and them, my flying weight's 340, 350 kilos, which with two kilowatt hours of energy um, will take me a lot further than these heavier gliders. Huh. And it's a 15 meter glider? That's right. It's a pure 15 meter glider still, completely racing optimized for 15 meter class. Hmm. Now, what was the competition like to fly in for you? Was it uh, interesting geography as well? So the site um, was a part of Germany called the Erzgebirge. Mm -hmm. um, I think my German girlfriend's glaring at me about my pronunciation <laughs> of that. Um, but it's a region of southeastern Germany uh, with very hilly topography, um, a little bit tricky outlandings, and quite complex weather. Often the cloud base doesn't really lift up on this uh, hilly raised area, so you have very low cloud base actually locally, but then when you get out away from the hills, it's um, you've got much higher clearance above ground, but perhaps not as strong thermals. Mm. So it's really quite challenging area to fly in, but um, with the electric systems, with the instant start, uh, it really makes for interesting possibilities. Some pilots even did a little bit of ridge soaring, we had a little bit of wave phenomenon going on, um, a bit of everything. And what was the competition like for you? What were your low points, high points, and how did you place? Uh, I won the competition. It was the first competition I've won with my Diana 2, which was quite exciting. Um, for me, uh, it was just about trying to learn um, the most efficient way to use energy in flight. And uh, I think I latched onto the right strategy quite early, which is you have to use the energy when things are going good. If uh, 
you waste the energy getting yourself out of a hole or trying to cross a gap or something like that, uh, you'll end up going much slower than people who are able to increase their speed when they're already flying slow because they're in a thermal or flying under a cloud street. Um, you, you'll get a much faster speed as a result if you can use the energy then. So that's a bit counterintuitive as a longtime glider pilot. I would have thought you'd be using that power to you know, go between thermals if there's a huge distance, but you're saying you actually power up your speed. That's right. That's my theory. Um, so let's say you're cruising a large gap. It'd be much better to cruise that gap uh, 10 knots faster. And then when you reach the thermal at the other end, maybe you're a bit lower, or it's not a very good thermal, then you use the FES to climb because you're already planning on flying slow there. And uh, it's much more efficient to use it in the slow flight rather than in the fast flight. Hmm. Interesting. So electric, is this the future of gliding? I don't think it's going to replace ordinary gliding in any way, but uh, I'm very positive about the possibility to extend uh, what we already do with gliding. Mm -hmm. uh, so perhaps we'll be able to increase the length of the soaring season. So maybe whereas competitions in Europe typically start in late April, maybe we can start them in March with electric gliders. So you can launch when it's not really soarable or there's a very small window, have everyone airborne and waiting for the window to come, and then they can fly the race. And if they get the weather wrong, everyone still gets to come home again. And the same with the end of the season as well. So we could have competitions going all the way out to the end of October. I think if this competition was a pure gliding competition, maybe we could have set tasks on three of the days. And on any other day, the tasks just wouldn't have been achievable. You wouldn't have got even a 100-kilometer task in. So it was only by virtue of the electric engines that we could fly this competition. Um, whether there's other opportunities through the middle of the season, um, that's for people to discover. I think certainly the electric systems open up possibilities on marginal days, even in the height of the season. And also when the weather's not good locally, but it's really good weather just a little way away, uh, you could have a competition. You could still run a competition and fly a big task. Hmm. Now, the technology, do you see it getting better and better like electric cars with smaller, lighter batteries going greater distances? Yeah, for sure. I think um, the battery capacity sizes are already increasing quite rapidly. So I've got in my Diana a slightly larger battery pack than has previously been available with FES systems. And I think that'll probably make its way through to all the other FES gliders. And I'm sure the capacity will, or the energy density of these batteries will just keep increasing. Mm -hmm. Is there a downside? Do we have to worry about these batteries catching fire or anything like that? I am intensely uncomf uh, uncomfortable with the idea of 12 liters of avgas behind my head. Um, and I find the idea of 40 kilos of heavy metals in a box slightly less concerting than um, 12 liters of avgas. Yep, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Matthew, let's switch gears here for a bit and let's talk about SkySight. Are there any new features that we can expect in the next little while? I've always got lots of things going on. Um, I've been spending my time in quarantine paying off a lot of, uh, let's say, technical debt that I've accrued over the last years. Yeah, okay. Um, You're having to work. Ideally, you won't have, yeah, ideally you won't have noticed anything change, um, but uh, the underside of it has been getting rewritten more or less from the ground up, which is going to enable a lot of big changes in the future. Um, the biggest thing is I'd like to have global coverage, um, at least with course resolution models across the whole world, and have everything really blend together nicely so that there's no difference between the border of one model and the next model, and it just always shows you the most up-to-date information for the region you are. Mm -hmm. The exciting feature we've added, particularly for your area this year, though, 
uh, is the smoke forecasts this year. So I understand you've had another very smoky year in America. We had a smoky year in Australia, actually, as well at the beginning of the year. Right. I, I was going to say um, here here in Canada towards uh, in September, we had some great flying weather, but a, a number of days were really not flyable because of the extremely high overcast smoke from California. Even here in Canada, we uh, were feeling the impact of it because it cut off the daytime heating. But your forecast helped us uh, figure that out a little bit more about when we could and couldn't fly. So good little feature. Yeah, so we just added smoke forecasts this year uh, just for the American region to sky site. So we're getting that from the X model, which is an experimental model the U.S. government is running mm -hmm. that um, just tries to account for some of the effects of smoke. Smoke modeling is a really, really difficult problem because it's only maybe once every 10 years on average that we get a proper smoke event like we're seeing now, even though they've been very recent, uh, very regular lately. Um, so when you look at, we have uh, the last 100 years of weather observations to test a model on normally, we only have maybe 10 significant smoke events over the last 50 years to test a model and how it performs with smoke on. So there's really very little data to try and design and improve and validate a weather model's performance on when there's smoke in the air. Unfortunately, you're probably going to get a lot more data in the next couple of years, the way things are going, unfortunately. Quite possibly, but um, we're looking at whether we can expand that smoke forecasting to other regions, doing the same kind of forecasting the U.S. is doing within our own modeling in Australia and, hope, well, hopefully not, but potentially even Europe. Hmm. Now, Matthew, uh, finally, be before I let you go, you're back in Australia. COVID appears to be more under control and in other parts of the world, what kind of impact do you expect it to have on gliding in Australia? And what what kind of uh, season do you think you're going to have? So Australia has um, taken a very strict approach to everything. So most of the competitions have um, already been delayed or cancelled, even though our case numbers are much better than, say, the rest of the world. Um, I think we've got our nationals scheduled out in the end of March now, mm -hmm. uh, delayed from November and October. Um, but I think they're most likely to run. Um, the problem at the moment is one state, Victoria, uh, still has a few cases left, so they're more or less not allowed to move around or leave the state or anything. But um, in terms of flying within our states, uh, I think everyone's having a great time. We're able to go cross-country, fly nice flights without too much hindrance. Do you have your new glider back in Australia? I will very shortly. It should arrive in about two weeks' time, and then i got to get it registered, do a whole lot of paperwork, and I'm looking forward to doing some big flights with it. The electric engine is really going to open up some possibilities for flying in Australia in places where perhaps people didn't feel comfortable flying before. Yeah, that sounds exciting. Matthew, It's as usual, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Have a fantastic and safe uh, season, and we will talk to you again at some point. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. Okay, cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. 2020 E2 Glide Contest winner and SkySight founder Matthew Scudder spoke to me from Brisbane, Australia. This month on Gliding Club Confidential, we go to the mountains of British Columbia. CFI Trevor Florence owns and operates the Invermere Soaring Centre. You may have heard his account earlier this summer of an incredible mountain rescue of a downed glider pilot. I've once again reached Trevor at the Invermere Soaring Centre. Hello, Trevor. Nice to have you back on the thermal. Oh, nice to be here, Harry. So the club, where exactly is it located? Well, the club is located at the Invermere Airport in uh, British Columbia in the Columbia Valley Trench. 
Rocky Mountains on one side and the Purcell Mountains on the other. Mm -hmm. uh, bit of a wide part of the valley, about 20 kilometers wide, so it's a good valley moderator. Uh, there, you know, if stuff builds up on the west side, it usually burns off by the time it gets to the east side, leaving a kind of a blue trough down the middle in in most situations. So. So the, well, the, the local geography, is it, is it a big wide valley with the, the, the Rockies on the east side? That's correct, yeah. And, and put me in the cockpit, what does it look like? What if, if you're flying there, what, what do you see? Well, if you're, you know, if you're you know, high enough above the mountains, you see nothing but mountains for as far as the eye goes in every direction. Wow. West, north, south, everything, there's mountains. So. Um, to the west, uh, the first range is the Purcells, and yeah, you don't really see past it, but if you could, there'd be the Monashies and the Valhallas, and uh, to the east, if you're high enough, you can actually kind of make out where the mountains stop, and then the prairies start, but that's only because you're not seeing any peaks anymore, and that's about about 100 kilometers of width of, of mountains, so you know, quite a few ranges of mountains uh, towards Banff, and then eventually to the to the flatlands sounds and spectacular to the, north, to the north the mountains just don't end till alaska and mm -hmm. to the south till california or whatever or wyoming or colorado <laughs> so, so yeah a lot of mountains. so do you have mixed conditions thermal and wave uh like the, the wave i mean we do get wave occasionally and it happens and uh you know it's kind of neat but it's not it's not wave sets up like in argentina or new zealand or uh, you know, places or like in uh, uh, the uh, Owens Valley or anything where they have long lines of wave. It, uh, they're bits and pieces, you know, a scrag here and a bit there and stuff because the mountains aren't oriented all in a straight line. Uh, occasionally, the, the whole mountain range sets up a middle valley wave and uh, it might be more useful, but it's, it's not a common thing. The, the most common conditions here are mountain thermal soaring. Okay, okay. That's the... That's what we have here best. Now, describe the airfield to me and, and what kind of runways you have. Uh, well, there's one run, runway, mm -hmm. uh, oriented uh, 1533, so north, south, up and down the valley. Uh, it's paved 900 meters long and about uh, 25 meters wide. And so you share this with other uh, flying organizations? Oh, this is the only runway, so it's not, you don't, we only utilize, you know, we push a glider out, it gets towed and it lands, it comes off the runway, you know, this, we have to keep the runway open, but we're very lucky there isn't a lot of uh, uh, civilian uh, movements, mm -hmm. uh, the odd King Air comes in and uh, there's a local guy in a TBM and there's a few Cessnas flying around, but not a lot of traffic. Uh, we're it's a it's it's a we actually sort of almost joke that it's our own little airstrip and one of the unique features of it is that it's um well it's on indian land uh which is which is fine uh, but we don't we don't have six foot high or nine foot high fences or anything anyone can kind of walk around it it's you feel very free it's like a it's like a gliding club atmosphere a uh, nice grass field the clubhouse with a big deck Sounds and, nice. Um, it's, so, it's quite a place. so is it a, a gliding club or just a commercial operation? Well, we're a hybrid. Uh, I'm a commercial operator and we're, you know, I'm tightly affiliated and 
um, with the with the club, Canadian Rockies Soaring Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm the CFI for the club. Have been for this is my 24th year doing that. Wow, uh, 24th year operating here. Uh, the commercial aspect is that uh, you know. Uh, either instruction or toes. You know, I mean, the club is a very small club, mostly mostly private owners, and uh, you know it can't really afford a tow plane or maintain it. Or uh, and the members, the members. I mean, the members are, are are certainly a wonderful group of people, and they're not at all in a in a selfish way, but they they they're not here to timekeep or mow the lawn or uh, you know instruct or tow. They, they come here, they want to push their glider out, get a tow, and have a flight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they perhaps pay a little bit more for that, but, uh, you know, in, in as far as tow costs go, but the club membership is quite low. You know, it's like $400 a year for the club membership. And, uh, you know, it, that we have a, they have a little clubhouse, and that sort of pays for that and pays to ensure the two club gliders, which are just a 233 and a 126. Um, Right, so, and, and you run the place, so you've got to make a living as well. So that that sounds all very reasonable and and a nice uh, coordination. Well, I make a subsistence. Right? Yeah. Nobody <laughs> gets rich know. flying uh, gliders, right? No, or or having a tow plane. I mean, it's there's a lot of expenses. Yes, absolutely. Um, right. now, what I what mean, kind of fleet uh, do you have at the Invermere Soaring Center? Uh, myself. Yeah. What what so what gliders do you rent out and that kind of thing? Uh, I had the Aster CS-77 that was just crashed. Right, and, right, which we spoke have, to you about earlier in a podcast. Yeah, and I have a I have a PW-5, uh, which is, you know, well-equipped. And I I have an H-301, but it's my own personal single-seater. Mm-hmm. But, my, the, you know, the main thrust of the operation is the duodiscus, and I've had that since the winter of 2000-2001. And uh, done quite a bit of flying with it, and introduced lots of pilots into the air, and done lots of rides, and had lots of flights myself with it. Now, do you get a lot of students or, or glider pilots from around the world coming to you to find out what it's like to to soar in the Rockies? Yeah, I've had uh, pilots from most every country. You know, Germany, France, England, of course, lots from New Zealand, the States, um, Japan. Um, well, Egypt. Wow. Or not Egypt, sorry, Israel. I meant as we talked about earlier. Um, oh, I, I, I uh, South Africa. Yeah, they a lot, lot of people have come out, and uh, you know, they always wanted to fly in the Rocky Mountains. And if we get a you know good bit of weather, I can give them a nice introduction. And the good news as well, I imagine, even if it's not flying weather, it's a spectacular part of Canada to hang around in, right? Uh, there, there isn't an activity I don't think that isn't here. <laughs> I mean, you know, certainly mountain climbing and fishing and skiing in the winter, uh, trekking, uh, you know, uh, uh, canoeing, kayaking, river rafting, you know, water sports and fishing. Uh, if you're a horse uh, person, there's horse riding, trail riding. Um, I mean, there's every outdoor activity you could imagine. Including flying gliders, which which attracts me to the place. Yeah, and and uh, not just gliders. There's a you know this always been a home to paraglider and hang glider pilots uh, alike. So okay, you know we we share the air with them and uh, we all have a good time together. 
Now, Trevor, the, the last question I ask of all my guests for Gliding Club Confidential is, what's the best thing about your, your club or your soaring center? And uh, I always get different answers. And what, so what's the best thing about the Invermere Soaring Center? Well, that's hard to pin down. But if it were a flying thing, it would be that we do have really spectacular conditions, but the scenery, I mean, to fly over the glaciers and the glacial lakes, the, you know, the, you, you know, down in uh, um, the Owens Valley, it's, it's just gray, rocky peaks and no, there's no scenery. Uh, same as in Utah, same as in Bitterwasser. Now, New Zealand rivals it because there are the, you know, there's the glaciers and glacial lakes. Now it's a much smaller area. So it's the scenery is the really amazing thing. Like Keith Essex was here last spring and he emailed me a couple months ago and he's really disappointed he couldn't come back. But he said, Invermere is my favorite spot to fly. And he said, I, I don't say that lightly, you know that. And uh, I, so, you know, it made me pretty proud that, you know, Keith, well, he's been a friend for a long time, but uh, that he, you know, considers this, you know, he was here for 10 days and did, I don't know, six flights over a thousand kilometers or something. Wow. Nearly a thousand kilometer triangle, but couldn't close it. <laughs> Well, Trevor, you've you've sold me on the Invermere Soaring Center, and the next time I'm out in in BC on a, on a family visit or something, I'm gonna make the the trek out to your place and come for a flight. So thank you very much for telling me about uh, about your uh, Invermere Soaring Center. Okay, Harry, and thank you. And but I must add one more thing: if it's not the flying that's the highlight here, it's the beer fridge. <laughs> I, have a, I have a keg fridge. We have really good beer on tap. Coconut. No, no, no. It's a local, just about a block away, there's a local brewer, and uh, we get all our beer from him, them, and it's it's blackjack. So it's a dark beer, but it's a very good dark beer. Sounds great to me. Trevor, thanks you again. Okay, thanks, Harry. Take care. Bye-bye. Trevor Florence spoke to me from the Invermere Soaring Center. If you want to find out more, the website is SoarTheRockies.com. That's SoarTheRockies.com. <laughs> That's it for episode number 17 of The Thermal. I will be back again in early December with another podcast. Finally, if you have any good interview ideas, please let me know. I'm looking for everything from toe plane operations to gliding history and from contest flying to the latest glider. I can be reached at the Thermal Podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. That's the Thermal Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for centering The Thermal Podcast. See you next time. I'm Harry Tenkate. Fly safe.